Well, hello everyone. This is Jessica. And this is Caitlin. And this is the Calling All Spirits podcast. How are you this evening? I am tired, but (laughs) mostly because the house drama has continued. The house we were super excited about fell through and a different house that we're extra excited about because it's from the 1950s is actually working out. So I'm I'm so excited that um, after the next episode, you're covering a couple of them because I will be packing and moving. <laughs> and I don't yeah. think our listeners want my uh, half-assed attempt to at research while I'm trying to move. <laughs> no, I am so excited for you. I mean, this is awesome. I can't wait to see pictures. It's so pretty. Like, I keep being sad that I'm leaving this house because I've been here right. for three years and I love this house. Yeah. But like... They've redone the bathrooms, and this house is from the 1950s, and I'm, like, dying inside. I'm so excited. I love it. Oh, my gosh. And it's in the same neighborhood, right? It's not. So this one is actually in the uh, historic section of the town I live in. Uh, I will be within walking distance of my favorite cafe in all of Texas. (gasps) Oh, my God. Even better. So much better. Exactly. Oh, wow. And, and I'll be in within blocking distance of one of the working blacksmith shops <gasps> that are in town that's run by another married couple. Okay, so this kind of feels like it was meant to be. Yeah. Exactly. Well, like the, the, the two houses that we were excited about in the meantime yeah. were distracting me until this one became available. Well, it, it, I remember I told you the story about my grandmother, how her dream house got sold out from under her, and then she found the house that was meant to be. Oh, my God. It's the same thing. Exactly. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah, you weren't meant to get that other house. It wasn't your house. Because nope, the other two just didn't work right. Like one yeah. had a small garage and a very short driveway with very little parking for visitors. And then the second one just, it was good, but it didn't fit right. This one has like all the benefits of the other house that we first found. Because you know I like historic homes. Right. And yeah. Lord help me, the 50s and 60s are becoming historic. Um <laughs> I know it's weird but it's got a really long driveway and the only thing it's missing is a garage but like all we got to do is buy a tool shed because like we don't park our garage our cars in the garage anyway that's where our tools go right yeah yes (laughs) yes oh my gosh that's amazing that's amazing I'm super (gasps) excited the appraisal is this evening and then like the next round of like if nothing else goes wrong we'll be signing paperwork in like (gasps) a week or two and then I can move in yay oh my gosh I'm Actually, I used to like hate the whole mid-century modern and I've been coming around to it a lot more lately. Like now I'm kind of like, I'm really kind of digging it. Like I think it's very cool. The Same. 50s and 60s. I did realize that part of my issue is that whatever is roughly 100 years old or older makes me happy because mm-hmm. I used to detest 1920s houses. Mm-hmm. I love them now. They're gorgeous. And I'm like, cool. They're about 100 years old now. So like, yeah, and I would tolerate them a lot better than I would the 1950s mm-hmm. and 60s houses when I was a kid. Right. Well, now, 30 years later, there's that shift. I'm like, OK, cool. The 50s houses are fantastic because it's been 30 years. Yeah. No, I think you're exactly <laughs> right. No, I. But that makes complete sense to me. Like even the 70s, I'm getting nostalgic. Like, oh, I love the look of the 60s, 70s where I used to have. Oh my god, right? The blue and the brown drove me nuts and everything for the 70s and the aesthetic. It also didn't help that there are some pictures of the 70s where you can smell the picture. (laughs) Because we had those aunts and uncles. And I was not even there for the 70s. But I can still smell the picture. And it's it's fine. (laughs) Oh, I know. Do you think about this? Because we worked in historic homes. Like, before long, they're going to, the historic homes will be the ones from the 20s. The 30s. But then the 50s is like, those are going to be your historic house museums. In like 50, 60, 70 years, 
the houses from the year we graduated high school are going to be the historic homes. I know. I think about that. I, and I'm like, they're going to have to restore them back. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, the 80s and 90s. No, this goes through my head all the time. Because I look at my own home, which is nothing fancy for people that can't see it. But I'm like, one day this is going to be, a, not my house, but just this style of house. This is going to be a historic home. People are going to be doing tours, which is crazy. It's complete <laughs> like, Looney Tunes. Like there was, um, there's a TikTok I've seen a couple times and there's different creators, but they'll have the practical magic music in the background and yeah. they'll be like, this is how I converted my late 1900s house to make it more practical magic. I'm like, yo, that's the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Like I love yeah. what you're oh, doing and it's totally working, but also you're making my brain hurt. Oh, I know. I know. And probably people that aren't in the... the aren't in that field of historic house museums probably never think about this but i i do all the time and for anyone who's been born since like 2000 odds are you are probably completely this is going over your head entirely babes come back (laughs) in like 15 years and this will make a different kind of sense to you oh my god yeah oh clothing when i go to target i'm like i wore that exact shirt in middle school i'm getting all of the flashbacks i mean it's weird i like will send pictures to my friends from that time period to be like we own this in middle school (laughs) the only thing i haven't now listeners correct me if i'm wrong the only thing i haven't seen yet are did you remember those belts that were the like car seat belts like that cl- and they usually had bottle caps on Spencers them. Spencer's and Hot Topic carried those. Yes. 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 That was my pride and joy. When I wore that, I thought I was the coolest thing in town, which I was not. But I felt so, like, cool <laughs> with that belt. I, you can't laugh at yourself that hard because my absolute pride and joy was a <laughs> shirt that had glittery letters on the front that said angel on the back that said devil. Yes. And everyone oh, was like, that's yes, perfectly yes. fitting because you have an angelic face, but we all know your attitude. <laughs> And I was in like the seventh or eighth grade and that was my absolute favorite thing to wear. Yeah. See, at least that's cool. Mine was the short sleeve velvet shirt. Do you remember those? (gasps) Yes. Yeah, I wore that with that belt, and I'm like, I am the coolest person ever. To be fair, that was the outfit I didn't think I could pull off, but I admired with my friends who could wear that. So fair play to you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those, it's funny. I haven't seen those yet. <laughs> Maybe they're out there, but those I don't think they've brought back yet. Yeah. They probably shouldn't bring those back. They, those should stay. I mean, stay there's back. a lot of things that should have stayed in the past and they brought them back anyway. That's true. So, I mean, if we're going to bring out the bad, we might as well bring out the terrible. <laughs> I don't this know. Or they brought out the terrible, we might as well bring out the bad. Let's be real. Yeah. Because yeah. I've seen oh some God, of the, the like, st- what killed me was like 10 years ago, Target had the peasant dresses back. From like the mm-hmm. 70s again, but it was like mm-hmm. the worst possible iteration mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of what I remember, mm-hmm. like seeing pictures of people wearing. I'm like, what they were wearing, yes! if the colors had been different, it would have been cute. But like the yeah. way they did the ruffles now, I'm like, that's awkward and just no, 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 no. No, it it was bad. It was so like, people bad. People make jokes like, about the acid trips designers had to be on in the 70s. I don't know what designers are on now for what they're doing in the retro style because it makes even less sense. I I, I have nothing good to say. Like I when I go to Target, oh tip, pro tip, if you go in the winter, all my winter clothes came from the men's section. All my sweaters were from the men's section. I've never gotten so many compliments on my sweaters. They're like, where did you buy it? I'm like, men's section Target. You had to clarify where in Target to find it. I like that. Yeah, because the women's section was 
awful. So yeah, I'm like, no, go to the men's section. It's and I was talking to some of the staff there. They're like, oh yeah, that's where we get our stuff. Yeah. I'm like, it's the best. Sorry for our listeners who are tuning in for the first time. <laughs> We're talking clothes. We promise we will get to the our... point. We swear we will. Yes, we promise. Okay, well, um, so we we so your house we left off on that and that is settled. And I will tell people, getting back on topic, I did my dim. Yes. The practice demonstration of mediumship. So we're bringing it back. And it actually went really well. It was my first time in like three years to do a dim. And there was, there was I don't know, maybe 20-something people. And I brought through two contacts. And I know one went a lot smoother. One was really smooth and good. One was One I brought through, but it was a spirit. Uh, or a, a person in spirit, I should say. And she was not the nicest person in life. So she was a little tricky, but the message that she needed to get through, which is actually an apology to her daughter, that did come through. But yeah, which so was so important. But it's just like, it's interesting when people come through in spirit, they don't change. Well, I, okay, I'll take that back. I'm sorry. They do change. They they typically grow on the other side and kind of see what happened in their life. But when they come through, they have to come through with how they were. Because if you had a very difficult mom in life, if I'm like, I have this mom who's so loving and and loves her children and is wonderful, her daughter's going to be like, well, that's not my mom. Yeah, right. Who are you, <laughs> you know? even talking about? I'm super exactly. Confused. Exactly. So they're going to come through with evidence of how they were in life, which is what she was doing. But that also can sometimes be difficult because <laughs> you're like, okay. But um, anyway, it went well. So I have my real dim this Friday with paying people who are, yes, yes. I know. So it's me, another brilliant medium, and uh, my mentor, Jennifer. And so it's my first kind of real dim so that I next podcast, I will share how that went. I'm so excited <laughs> so, for you. I know, putting myself out there with mediumship, which is it which is a little scary. Some people some people dim all the time, some just do private. I'm kind of doing a little bit of both for right now. Well, I mean, what were we going to do? Ask you to focus on one specialty? <laughs> I know. As many classes as I take, damn, I better be putting myself out there. And like you're going to vary it up a little bit because you'll get you know, stuck, you know yourself, you'll get stuck in a rut if you just aim for one. And more importantly, yeah. I will give her full credit on this one. Your mentor knows better than to let you pick just one thing because you will get oh stuck my God. in a rut. Oh, she, she is amazing. And she is, she is tough. Like we talked about, nobody does cold reading. And I'm like, cause I mean, it's all real, but I'm like, she wouldn't let you like, Mm-mm. cause it's like, I mean, she got one girl got a grandmother in her kitchen cooking and Jennifer was like, okay, well, what was she cooking? Cookies. Well, we need the specific cookie. So she gave it. Then she's like, where did she keep her baking supplies in that kitchen? And it's like, holy cow. And she went to the cabinet to the right of the sink and went to the exact location. But I'm like, she won't let you just be like, she cooked in the kitchen. No. <laughs> like, no. I was so impressed. And that was before I got up there and I was like, holy cow. Oh, my God. Like, do I have to do that too? Nope. <laughs> like, yes. 
So, I mean, it, it's the real. So if you're ever in the Richmond, Rosenberg area or Houston area, it's Intuitive Insights. I'll give her a plug. She's amazing. And um, you're going to see the real deal. Oh, like, agreed. See? Like, I mean, you're going to see it. I, I, I have not taken more than one class with her, but I will absolutely <laughs> vouch for the fact that she is dude dead on. Like, nope. Oh, my no God. pun intended. Um. <laughs> <laughs> But she's like literally Robin Hood, like splitting the arrow in half. Not only does she hit the bullseye, she hits the other arrow and like still hits the middle of the bullseye despite what everyone else has done. Like it's, and the standard she holds her students to is, it's insane, but it's achievable. (laughs) She's a great teacher. Like no question. Yeah. We need, uh, why have we not, we need to bring her on the show. I can't believe we haven't brought her on yet. I don't have the connection with her that you do. So this is your fault. (laughs) I do. Okay. It's my fault. We will bring her on the show. But I guess, okay, we've kind of talked for a while. I guess it's time we should to probably get to our focus. topic tonight. We should focus. <laughs> so for all Absolutely. of those of you who've read the title of the episode, you already know <laughs> that today we're talking about psychic animals, which mm. will be a lot of fun in a lot of ways. Because, I mean, we already, we already, at least in the modern sense, know some things. Like the first example, it was hilarious. The book that I read was, um, so to give you all context, I'm going to pull from this book a lot. Because the stories were just too good to try to ad-lib my own. It is Psychic Animals, A Fascinating Investigation of Paranormal Behavior by Dennis Bardens. And yes, I got it off Thrift Books because that's where all of my books come from. But um, by the way, Thrift Books, if you want to give us a uh, <laughs> a sponsorship, we won't say no. Seriously. We definitely use no. you. But the book, I didn't realize it until I had it in my hand. It's from 1989. So there are wow. some things that are revolutionary that I'm like, uh-huh. Like the first <laughs> example I have that I, d- I did do some extra research on, but it was animals can sense earthquakes. Nadoy. <laughs> well, I mean, I know. Okay. You may, cause I know animals act strange before natural disasters, but how is there more like how it's, it's a little bit it's um so that was the one that I actually did do a little further research okay. on but it was the, the way they presented it in the book it was like revolutionary and because I grew up in earthquake oh, country okay. I grew up hearing like you know animals have four feet on the ground so they have more attunement to the earth or they're actually on the ground they're not on you know floating foundations or risen foundations mm-hmm. so they're more connected and they can feel it coming a little bit earlier or the oh, seismic okay. waves throw off like birds. It throws off their, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The migration magnet in their brain. Oh, okay. I can't okay. think of what it's called, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Because of the way the earthquake waves move and because of what we've learned since 1989 about earthquakes and about right. animals, like I grew up knowing a lot of this stuff. And so he's presenting it as revolutionary and... I'm like, oh, gotcha. Uh, th- th- thank you for pointing out the obvious. <laughs> but it's not his fault. It's kind yeah. of like being, you know, 15 years post World War II, being like, obviously, penicillin is the solution. Like, right. It's, it's where you are right. in the world. But what was really cool was uh, they ex- uh, mentioned a specific example of there were some scientists in China doing specific experiments with uh, animals as not like experimenting on animals, please. Don't mistake that. But they were using animals in their natural spaces to predict earthquakes. 
And so oh. I Googleized it and there was an article from 2015. Oh, okay, wonderful. And there are Chinese government researchers that have been using chickens, fish, and toes to try to predict earthquakes. Interesting. Which I thought was really cool. It's yeah. via the Seismology Bureau in the eastern city of Nanjing, and they have transformed several, or no, several, seven animal farms into seismic stations. Wow. And basically, breeders on the farms are asked to update the bureau about the behavior of the animals twice a day. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and abnormal behavior can indicate imminent earthquakes, and it's stuff like chickens flying on top of trees, fish leaping out of the water, and toads moving in a group. Huh. And apparently back in 2017, I didn't find anything more modern, unfortunately. Apparently at the time, they had been aiming to recruit seven more farms into the scheme and develop the facilities needed to be able to track the behavior of animals. Like they basically have farm animal zoos so that they can track their odd behaviors and potentially predict earthquakes. Wow. That's really fascinating. How cool is that, right? Like I I, that is. I grew up knowing that animals were more attuned to the Earth's movements and the magnetism and everything because they literally well, one of the theories for how birds migrate, by the way, for anyone who didn't know this, one of the theories for why birds migrate the way they do is or they're able to find north and south is because they're attuned to the magnetic field in the um the Earth's core for like what north and south is. There are a couple other theories going on, but one of the concepts is that the earthquake screws with that. Oh, I didn't know that. It was, I I didn't realize that they were actually using them as earthquake monitors because like I grew up in California with the seismic stations, like tracking the creeping faults in Hollister. Like I didn't, uh-huh. I, I, I didn't know that there were other countries using animals to this degree, which was kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. Throwing back a little bit further in time, because again, bless this 1989 book, he was talking about <laughs> an experiment from the 1920s. I researched it a little bit. There's an article in Atlas Obscura on the same person. The article, I love the title of it. The article is called How a Soviet Circus Clown Tried to Prove the Dogs Can Be Psychic. Oh my gosh, that's fabulous. Is that not a glorious title? That is. Basically, there was a circus clown, obviously. It was a part of a four-man delegation at the labs. Uh, Vladimir Durov was one of Russia's most famous animal trainers. And he was almost 60 and had spent most of his life in the circus. And initially, he'd been a trapeze artist and a clown. I thought that was interesting as a combination career. As his career moved on, he shifted for his focus to be animals. It was dogs, monkeys, geese. Ducks, goats, guinea pigs, bears, and lions. And he became known for his ability to communicate with trained animals by, quote, mental suggestion. Oh, interesting. Exactly. And this interested a doctor, Bernard Bernadovich Kaczynski. Mm. And he wanted to unlock the mysteries of what he called biological radio communications. Okay. And so Durov and his dogs seemed like a perfect candidate for this animal experiment that he wanted to conduct. Under the Soviet government, Durov's home had basically became a home of research foundations on animal psychology. And so over the course of about two years, they would conduct basically like 1,300 experiments testing telepathic commands on dogs. Like... When you think about wow. animal experimentation, it's usually a horror show, especially if you think about the 1920s. But literally, right. they were just giving telepathic commands to dogs, which is harmless compared to some of the other experimentation we hear about. Yes. But what was really trippy, like for, again, historian brain, the the line of research that they were following 
came to have more and more importance during the Cold War with the investigations into psychic phenomenon and spying on alternate countries <gasps> via telepathy. That, wow. And like, I know it's not really talked about, but we've heard about that going on in our own government. Mm-hmm. And, and having psychics and remote viewing and all that. Ooh. So this is Russia's side of the situation circa 1920s. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because, like, the, the main reason the Soviet Union was funding this research was because it could be used for the military. Like, mm. this wasn't just, like, a doctor doing experiments on his own time, like, in the Victorian period, where we know that people of wealth were able to experiment on what they wanted. No, this is literally right. government-funded because the military thought they could use the telepathic phenomenon of commanding dogs for the military. Wow. They weren't just interested in dogs. <laughs> like psychic dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is more to the story. Exactly. Basically, his technique, uh, Durov would look start by looking deeply into a dog's eyes, which we know more of animal psychology now. Kind of a dominance thing. Right, yes. And he would, quote, direct all of his mental powers towards imagining the exact task the dog was to perform as though he was looking through the dog's own eyes. Okay, after implanting the idea in the dog's brain, Durov would give the order to act it out. Okay. He would, I think, complete it by basically stroking them slightly on the side of the head or on their shoulders or something. The dog would point their nose almost vertically as though they were falling into a trance. And I'm not sure why the dog pointing their nose straight up counted as going into a trance. Because right. to me, that means they're smelling the air. My dog does that all the time when we're out walking. Yeah. Interesting. But this would, for him, indicate that psychic contact had been established. And he had access to the animal's subconscious. So according to his memoir, uh, Durov first experienced his power to affect dogs this way under pretty dramatic circumstances. Apparently, he bet his friends that he could go into an abandoned house where a dangerous dog was kept locked up and the dog would not touch him. I don't know if you grew up watching The Sandlot, but this sounds like The Sandlot to me. (laughs) It does. It does. I can see that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. But when he entered, the dog rushed at him. Durov made eye contact and the dog just slowed, stopped, and then backed up. But I feel like the dog whisperer could do that too. I mean... But maybe the dog whisperer... To be fair, yeah. I've, heard, I've heard less than thrilling things about his concept for dominating dogs and packs, but I don't know any Ooh. details, so don't quote me on that. Right. But I mean, I feel like... I think it's more the dominance thing like you talked about. Like Exactly. Yeah. He's basically establishing himself instantly as pack leader kind of thing. And I know that we've disproved the alpha wolf concept since the original researcher discovered that. Um, did you hear about this one? The The concept of an alpha wolf was established by a researcher in like the 70s or 80s or something. And uh-huh. he realized like 15 years later that that only happened when you had wolves who didn't know each other kept in captivity. And that pack. Stru- oh, I know. Yeah, the pack structure doesn't work in nature. But that makes complete sense to it me. It does. Exactly. I get that. Um, it does make all the uh, cracks about people who are like, I'm such an alpha dog. And I'm like, cool. So you're in a cage with dogs you don't know? <laughs> this is true. This is true. Just a little bit, a little bit sus now that I know some more details about the study. Uh, <laughs> by the way, y'all, if you ever want to know why someone's saying something, if you go into the study and learn some more stuff, it really confuses them. And it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Not that I'm a terrible person. <laughs> That's funny. The really trippy part, like oddly enough, like this isn't even the weird part about the story. 
Uh, later on, Kaczynski, the researcher who initially approached him and got the funding from the Soviet Union, he built a Faraday cage. Like, do you know what a Faraday cage is? That sounds familiar, but tell me, just remind me. Basically, it's a, it's a cage that interrupts uh, the transmission of electrical signals. Oh, okay. So you'll see it a lot in, honestly, like a fantasy and sci-fi shows where they have the Faraday okay. that kind of springs up and it interrupts whoever's being kept inside their powers or their abilities or something. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. And so he, uh, it interrupted, because it interrupts the transmission of electrical signals, he did this to test his theory about how Durov was communicating telepathically with the dogs. Uh-huh. So he had Durov try the mental command strategy while sitting inside a shut cage with the door open and the very first trials apparently proved his assumptions had been correct because when the door was closed the technique didn't work oh now that's interesting right but as soon as the door was opened everything worked fine all of the telepathic commands played out huh and overall apparently they reported that 696 of their experiments with mental suggestions to the dogs were successful 582 were not and according to a zoologist slash statistician, because clearly that's a career path, at the Moscow State University, an analysis of the results showed that the dogs' responses were not accidental, but were produced under the influence of the experimenters. So telepath- telepathy apparently worked, at least with dogs. That's really fascinating. And it kind of plays into what I'm going to talk about later, because seems like most of this research has been done with dogs. It really has been, like, everything from Pavlov's Pavlov's dog uh, saliva reaction to the bell. Like, everything's done with dogs. Like, we think guinea pigs when we think scientific experimentation. But first of all, apparently white mice, like, work better physiologically with human biology than guinea pigs do. But also, (laughs) turns out it's usually dogs. Right. No. No. my, My own research will point to that. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting, kind of the psychic research and... I mean, we we did an experiment in class the other day where we put our hands over where where the third eye kind of is or where we believe it to be, and it did kind of block. I don't know if it was, you know, it, it was weird how it worked. It was very weird. So I do believe maybe if he's in that environment. I mean, you have to remember that, like, we create electrical impulses in our biology. So, like, we can interrupt ourselves because I don't know – I know you're older than me, but we grew up in very different worlds. I don't know if you ever were the kid who went to adjust the antenna on top of the TV. And as soon as you stepped away from it, it stopped working because you were part of the antenna factor. No. uh uh-uh. Okay. So um, that is a phenomenon that anyone who grew up in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and part of the 80s uh, <laughs> may be familiar with. If you have the rabbit ear antennas when you were a kid... You had to make sure you got the proper signal right. for the show coming right. in. Right, yeah, of course. And you would go up to adjust it, but because you were touching the antenna, it would have an effect on how good the electrical or the oh, radio waves were coming in. Oh, okay. Because you were also part of the antenna because human biology, were basically biological computers that have an electrical field. Right. Oh, very interesting. So, like, yeah, touching your own third eye, you're uh, interrupting your own electrical impulses. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that would work. I'm like, really? And maybe it's psychological. Maybe it was put into my head, but... Also possible. Psychosomatic is a thing. Yeah, but I don't know. It was bizarre. I didn't think it would work, so I wasn't a believer. And then I'm like, holy moly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't read intuitively. And then I take my hand off. It's like, oh, yes, I can now. It's back. So I don't know. But that's really fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. So very cool. Dr. 
that's interesting that whole study and how they used it for spies yeah i thought that was fascinating and like I got the initial names from the book I was reading, mm-hmm. but then, like, I Googled some researches, or researches, <laughs> I Googled some articles, and Atlas Obscura had a whole thing on it, which I thought was really cool. That is very cool. Another story that I pulled directly from the book was mm. after World War One, because it was also in the 20s, but it was an eerie example of telepathy and astral projection com- combined. Mm. Apparently, the storyteller's wife had gone into town to shop, taking with her their bull mastiff named Bill. Mm-hmm. And because of the cold, or because of a cold, their small son, Christopher, who was five, had remained home with the person telling the story. Mm-hmm. They sat by the fire in the all but dark, listening in, and the time was about 5.20. And without warning, in the midst of, like, random natterings on in the radio show, his son, Christopher, gave, like, a low cry. And he... The storyteller looked at him in horror and saw that his eyes were gleaming like a beast's, <gasps> changing from green to red and from red to green. Oh, my gosh. And the low cry was repeated, and it was like a husky snarl, like canine or vulpine. I think fox-like is what that one means. Uh-huh. But assuredly not human, basically, is the key. So he jumped. the storyteller jumped forward, grabbed his son to him, and the kid was shivering with a face like death. And slowly the snarling died, and the eyes lost their weird gleaming, and the kid sobbed they're killing my bill his dog oh my gosh and shortly afterward his wife arrived in a taxi very much shaken because an an alice alsatian dog a l s a t i a n i have no idea anyway another big dog had basically gone mad in the high street and chased by the (gasps) excited crowd it had left at his wife knocked her down and except for Bill getting in the way, the dog would have bitten his wife. Mm. And Bill had flung himself at the dog's throat and the two dogs fought in the midst of their fighting. A vet had shot them. Oh, my gosh. And that was around 520 when the kid had his episode. Wow. So sad. Yeah. That one was really upsetting to me to read. Yeah. But it also showed the kid's connection to the yep. dog, which made me happy. Like... I was conflicted on that one because, like, when you're connected to your family and your pets, it means a lot. But Mm -hmm. also made made my heart break because the dog was shot. No, absolutely. Like, I did not like that. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The next story I have is from Captain Trapman during World War I. A dog gave a striking display of premonition. Ooh. The Airedale's master was a naval officer on a minesweeping duty in the North Sea. His wife lived in Harwich, which was his headquarters, and both she and the dog would go down to the quayside to see him off every expedition or so. Mm -hmm. He was cheerful and matter-of-fact as a person. He wasn't really given to nerves or anxiety, apparently. I don't understand that (laughs) as a livelihood. Yeah. But more power to him being able to function in the middle of a war without anxiety. No one ever shot the the dog never showed any sign of distress when seeing him off as though like, you know, they were both confident and the reunion would come soon. Right. But the last night the officer was on land, the dog started behaving erratically. Mm. The dog persistently tried to dissuade his master from sailing, tugging at his trousers and pulling at his sleeves, whimpering and basically freaking out as a dog. And that night the officer was drowned and his ship (gasps) was lost. Oh, That's so sad. At the approximate time he drowned, uh, nobody survived to time it out with accuracy, but it was known within 10 minutes. 
the dog was howling inconsolably. <gasps> oh my gosh. Wow. And then in the middle of the Victorian period, there was a case of a dog foreseeing a shipwreck. Oh. Uh, the Beaufoy was a packet ship carrying mail from Germany to Britain and ran into a terrible storm with lightning and thunder and mm. winds reaching gale force. And Captain Norris had with him his favorite dog, who had accompanied him on many voyages and was well used to the moods of the sea. Like, the dog would prefer to be on the boat rather than go to shore when they were on leave. Mm -hmm. Like, they'd, they'd pull into port and the dog would be like, nah, I'm good here. Oh, yeah. And like, you know, this is home. Why would I go wander about town? Of course. But during the storm... The dog's behavior changed from the start of the voyage. He would jump overboard and swim towards another male boat. He did this several times until in exasperation, the captain gave orders that the dog should be confined so they didn't have to keep tracking him down. The dog had some kind of presentiment, though, because almost immediately a tremendous wave struck the vessel, tearing away the bulwark, and at least the captain and three of his men were clinging to it while... Everyone sank except for one sole survivor that was lucky in the end that had a surge thrust him back towards what was remaining of the damaged vessel. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. The dog knew. Like, he just sensed something was coming. That's that's really interesting. The dog was like, no, there's something wrong. We need to adjust for yes. it. And it was like, yes. um, maybe, maybe not. No, no, you should have listened to the dog. Wow. There was another one that tripped me up because I'll explain it afterwards. But there was a gentleman in England. He told was telling the story from a farmer that he knew. And the farmer's father was a very old man who had a dog, which was his constant companion. Like we all know dogs. Mm -hmm. They they, they stayed with us for a while. Yeah. Followed him everywhere. Always showed lovely delight when it was spoken to or whenever met. Like, you know, if the farmer left for a while and came back, the Mm -hmm. dog flipped out in the best way. And the dog would be all over him every day he came home from working the fields. But one day the dog like failed to give the master you know his custom greetings like you know the dog was just kind of like okay you're here what do you want basically ignored him almost like the owner wasn't there Uh uh-huh and after dinner the old you know the old farmer sat down in his favorite chair and the dog still ignored him and even refused offers of food oh my god and an hour after sitting himself in the chair the old man died (gasps) oh wow! the farmer's son maintained that his father's spirit had already left the body and therefore the dog didn't recognize him. Oh, that's interesting. Right? The idea that the spirit leaves the body before death is still quite common in some county districts of England. In 1989, possibly, I asked my friends in England if they had heard about this. Her response when I asked about this uh, was, "The the, the soul leaves the moment you die, and if you're lucky, someone comes to collect you. And she shared her story that my great granddad was collected by his mother, which freaked my nan out. So she went out for a cigarette. And when she came back, he was gone. Oh, but I love that he was collected by someone that he loved. I'm like, someone, you know, and trust was guiding you into the afterlife. That made me happy enough that I offset the fact that like she freaked out, went out for a cigarette and came out and her dad was gone. Yeah, but I mean, I I think that's what I've heard through all my mediumship classes that have had a lot of experiences that you're never alone. Like there's always family around to kind of assure you on and to be with you. So I love that. Exactly. And then we can't get through any kind of story, including even, you know, close to the Victorian period without bringing up Jack the Ripper. (laughs) He's going to make an appearance. He has to make an appearance. Like if, 
I know it. you don't listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, no. but literally you can't go through any kind of early century or mid-century Victorian story or like early 1900s right. without someone being like, maybe this was Jack the Ripper and he <laughs> just moved to like Iowa or Canada or of South America or something. Yes, yes. It's absolutely nuts, but um, I loved this story because I'm just like, of course, Jack the Ripper made an appearance. <laughs> so this excerpt begins with numerous books and thousands of articles have been written about Jack the Ripper, a Victorian murder who killed several street women in Whitechapel, in mm-hmm. case we didn't know, uh, <laughs> in the East End between the 31st of August and the 8th of November in 1888. But despite citizens' vigilance, he was never captured and his identity was never established. Mm -hmm. Hence the ongoing mystery that makes us all still obsessed to this day. Absolutely. So, Mrs. T.P. O'Connor relates Mm. a strange story about her dog identified and nearly caught Jack the Ripper. Attracted by the mystery, as many other Victorian ladies were, she could not resist driving with a friend accompanied by her dog to the spot where the murders had been committed, Murderinos are not new as much as we like to think we're special. <laughs> her dog Max Love that. Her dog Max behaved strangely, showing excitement and distress, and was ill at ease even when they had returned home mm. and ran out to the at first opportunity, disappearing into the night. Oh. Mrs. O'Connor was much relieved when a night watchman turned up with the dog whose name and address were on his collar. You mm-hmm. know, good. Good dog owner. Fantastic yeah. job. The watchman said that a stranger had brought the dog to him. He described the man and his description sounds very eerie indeed. It looked like it may have been Jack the Ripper himself. His skin was green white, just the color of the stomach of a frog. He didn't have a drop of red blood in him. His fingers were tough white roots. He was a rum customer, he was. And yet Max wanted to follow him. It appeared that while the dog had been shut up in the watchman's hut, he had set up a dismal howling, and it turned out that this was about the time that Jack the Ripper was murdering two more (gasps) women near the site of the original crime. Oh my gosh. Very interesting. Yeah, like of all of the reaches that come with Jack the Ripper, this one's actually the least reaching. Yeah. This one's like... Ooh, it was in the area around the time. Exactly. Like, we're not talking about like a random Australian murder here. Like this was in Whitechapel. Oh my gosh! And to think they're like like going out to. I mean, it's just. Right. I mean, I feel like people that go to like these places, it's been a long time like since that has happened. It's like no, they're going out. They're going like oh my god. Yep. Wow. Like it's it 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 kind of tracks. Yeah. On a less murdery note, I do have another story. Oh, okay. There and this one's actually it's another ship story, but there's no shipwreck involved. Okay. This one definitely like it it plays into they call it the homing instinct. Like, did you ever watch Homeward Bound as a kid? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So basically that, but with ships in international waters. Oh, okay. So like if we didn't think that story was impressive enough. <laughs> so in 1973. Uh, Willem Manta, Mm -hmm. the master of a Dutch freighter, the SS Similauer, was waiting on board at Mm -hmm. Vancouver, impatient to weigh acre and proceed to the next leg of his journey, which was to Japan. And he was kind of freaking out because his dog, Hector, his pet terrier, who had sailed the world with him, hadn't returned to the ship yet. When the ship was in port, he was the opposite mm-hmm. of the other dog. He wanted to run around the city and smell things. Like, he, he, he was a dog. Right. And he would do this every single time, but he was always back to the gangplank and loading onto the ship before there was time to set sail. Except for this time. And eventually, 
Willem decided that he couldn't wait any longer and his dog had either met with an accident or had been stolen or had gotten lost and he was heartbroken because he didn't think he'd ever see his dog again. The next morning, on another Vancouver docked ship, the SS Hanley, there was a wire-haired terrier walking up the gangplank of his vessel. The dog was, like, intent and, like, focused. Wasn't wandering at random. He trotted around the deck of this ship and then went below to snuff the cargo and then left. The same thing was observed by crews of three other vessels in harbor. Hector had boarded the vessels, Mm -hmm. looked around thoroughly but quickly, and then bounced. Only when the Yakahoma-bound SS Hanley was two hours out of port was Hector found on board. Nineteen days later, as the ship approached Japan, the canine stowaway became noticeably restless, and as the ship entered Tokyo, he was literally shivering with excitement. During the unloading of Hanley's cargo, another vessel moved into berth about 300 yards away, and some men from the newly arrived steamer sailed into the sampan near Hanley's stern. As the small craft approached, Captain Kildall of the Hanley noticed the dog's excitement and his, like, yipping. Suddenly, the dog jumped Mm -hmm. into the water, a few feet from the shore, swam to it, and was pulled aboard. Oh, not the shore. Was a few feet from the sampan, swam to it, was pulled aboard throwing himself at one of the crew, yelping with delight and wagging his tail furiously. He had found his master and traveled over 5,000 miles on the right friggin' ship to get there. That's amazing. Like, the dog picked the right boat to get him to the harbor where his owner was at. That is unbelievable. Like, oh my god. I don't even know what to do with this. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, that's incredible. It's, I, I, I don't, I can't, I don't know what to do with it. It's insane. It's, yeah, no, like that one, that one of all of them, because to an extent, like you can pull things like animals maybe instinctively know how to get home when you watch movies like Homeward Bound. Or right. right. there are yes. a bunch of accounts in the book about similar stories where families had to move away and they had to give their pets away for one reason or another because, like, they were moving overseas yeah. or the apartment they were moving into couldn't take animals. Right. And the animal would find them, like, five states away to a place they'd never yes. been to, never knew anything about. But, like, traversing the land to do that already is impressive. But this right. dog jumped on the right boat to get him to the right harbor at the right time. I mean, it's like... Yeah, I mean, if it's it's either incredible luck or it is some kind of psychic I, connection. I, I don't I don't know what else to I can't. I don't <laughs> understand. Like there are a few that I can roll with, but this one I've been stumbling over it since I read this chapter like a week and a half ago. I'll go back to it and I'm like, seriously, no. did I read that right? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's amazing. Exceptionally impressive. Oh, okay. So not all of the stories have to do with dogs. We have one that ties into a cat. Oh. Um, So there was a woman who told the Sunday People Reporter in 1974 about when her husband was laying uh, sick in bed and the cat never left his side. Except for one day, she Mm -hmm. leapt from the bed with her hair standing on Ed. She lashed at the air with her claws as if fighting off an invisible intruder. (gasps) In horror, I uh-huh. turned to my husband and was just in time to take him in my arms as he died. Oh, so the cat was okay. reacting to whatever spirit was taking him to the afterlife and was like, yeah. no, leave him alone. But it didn't work. Yeah. Wow. Yup. 
I thought that one, that was a lot shorter than the other stories, but that one was also super interesting. <laughs> yeah. So not only was it not dogs and just cats, but we also have horses. <laughs> so one of the horses we're going to talk about today is Clever Hans. He was a performing horse in Berlin in the late 19th and early 20th centuries who was basically very intelligent. <laughs> so later on, what he did was basically explained as behavioral cues that were provided possibly unintentionally by his handler. Mm -hmm. And he's actually got something named after him called the Clever Hans effect to denote the danger of unintentional cueing of the desired behavior to the person who's answering the question. Kind of like leading the witness when it comes to, yeah. Right, yeah. So beginning in 1891, led by his trainer, Wilhelm van Osten, Hans would demonstrate almost human intelligence by responding to questions with a variety of hoof taps or other actions. Mm. Using this method, he amazed both the general public and leading psychologists of the day with his apparent ability to perform arithmetic. Like, oh, wow. Of course, was doing better math than a lot of kids I know. <laughs> including me on some days. And a number of investigators examined the horse and the handler and decided that no voluntary signals were being given to the horse, which is where the unintentional signals mm -hmm. were hypothesized later because, like, he wasn't doing it on purpose. We didn't notice a pattern. Right. And it made everyone think that his mental abilities were pretty much real. Mm. In a report published in 1907, it was after a series of carefully designed experiments and close behavioral observations that concluded that he was basically responding to very subtle and probably involuntary cues from his handler. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But that's not the only horse we have to talk about. We also have Lady Wonder, the psychic horse. Wow. So a little bit later, back to the 1920s, in Richmond, Virginia, a woman named Claudia Fonda started noticing something unusual about her horse. Lady Wonder would often come to her without being beckoned as if she knew telepathically that Fonda was looking for her. Mm -hmm. Believing that she had an exceptional animal in her care, Fonda started to train Lady to move lettered and numbered children's blocks with her nose, eventually even designing a piano-sized contraption with a double row of keys. A touch of her snout on the lever would cause a tin card with a letter or number to pop out. And through that system, Lady was apparently able to solve math problems and spell words. And this was apparently the gateway to the phenomenon because she wasn't just smart. She was also apparently psychic. Mm -hmm. An estimated 150,000 people would eventually seek counsel from Lady Wonder. Wow. Now that's interesting. Each of them paying a dollar to ask three questions. Oh my gosh. Now that's cool. That's $150,000 in 1920. That is huge. That is a huge amount of money. Her achievements reportedly including telling married women their maiden names. Uh-huh. Guessing the sex of unborn children. Wow. Predicting oncoming tractors. Knowing the date on a coin that was hidden from view. Cool. Discovering oil. Oh, Wow. Calling elections, horse races, ball games, and boxing matches. Uh-huh. Most famously, Gene Tunney's defeat of Jack Dempsey in 1927 for the World Heavyweight Championship. Wow. Incredible. After hearing about the boxing prediction, researchers from Duke University visited the farm to test her out. And this included writing words on pieces of paper and while keeping them hidden, asking the horse to spell them out. Uh-huh. Lady largely succeeded even with longer words like Mesopotamia. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, right? She wasn't spelling out cat, dog, and frog. She <laughs> was spelling out Mesopotamia and other wow. long words. Mm -hmm. 
Now, her best-known accomplishment came two decades later. By the way, this horse lived a really long time. Oh. In 1952, she was called upon as a last-ditch effort in which to find a missing Massachusetts boy. Oh. She spelled out Pittsfield Waterwheel when asked for his whereabouts. Uh-huh. And after some confusion, because Pittsford Waterwheel didn't exist... Authorities wondered if the letters were instead supposed to be Field and Wild Water Pit. Oh. That was a nearby abandoned quarry. Uh-huh. They took the search there and found the missing boy's <gasps> body. Oh. That's really extraordinary. Right? Like, that's exceptionally impressive that if you just kind of shuffle the words around a little bit, you get something similar. Like, if you're playing word boggle instead of letter boggle. Right. Lady Wonder wasn't always correct with her answers. Apparently, she was often wrong, and so she got as many skeptics as believers. A professional horse trainer checked out the horse and called the results not conclusive, which doesn't tell me that she's wrong. It tells me that you can't tell, yeah? Yeah. There was a New York... Not New York. There was a New Jersey professor who (laughs) believed that Fonda was cueing the animal, Mm -hmm. but, like, also... That meant that Fonda knew where the boy was, so, like, also no. Or she was psychic and then cueing the animal. Also possible. Yeah. So, basically, the the thing that I liked was the landing situation. A researcher named Dr. Gale responded with, I'm perfectly willing to admit that I have no idea how she arrives at the correct answers to our questions. There's no conscious trickery here, I'm convinced, but I'm not converted to the mind-reading theory. Mm. What's the solution of the puzzle? I don't know. <laughs> so like I can I can work with that. Yeah. Well, so we've been talking kind of about psych even though we've had a few spirits, we've kind of been talking about psychic work with pets and premonitions and looking in the future. Now we're going to turn it to um spirits and ghosts and can animals sense those? And again, kind of mentioned before, a lot of the research focuses on dogs. I mean, that's most almost everything I found when I even wanted just as pets or animals it always goes back to dogs um but i feel like this would apply to cats too and other animals so but it was interesting there was a ton of articles from some pretty well-renowned sources like a lot of my research i'm going to be talking about came from the american kennel club and <laughs> like kind of their thoughts on this I, it's really funny when you search this you get some interesting sources according to a multitude of sources including the american kennel club Canines have extraordinary senses, as do other animals. And these include what humans have, sight, smell, taste, touch, hearing. They're just a lot sharper than humans. And Dr. Mary Birch, the director of the AKC Family Dog Program and Certified Animal Behaviorist, states that dogs are remarkable creatures with senses that far exceed humans. So this could be why they could possibly sense spirits. So First of all, their sense of hearing, and I would say this would go for cats as well, surpasses that of a human. I mean, they can sense like four times more than we can. I mean, knowing that the way the air is shaped has an effect on how well you hear and looking at almost every other animal besides us, no doy. Exactly. And they can hear higher pitched noises at a greater distance. And so perhaps this heightened auditory perception gives them the ability to pick up on undetectable phenomena that humans don't, which makes sense because when I think of EVPs, which is electronic voice phenomena, it's picking up these higher frequencies that the human ear cannot. 
So that makes sense to me that possibly dogs can pick up the same thing as well. Look at that internal logic that makes sense consistently. I mean, exactly, exactly. Dogs can also see objects at a greater distance, but their vision in low light is far superior of that to human. They have, what, fewer cones or more cones, whichever one absorbs light versus colors. They have more of those and fewer of the color ones, so they don't see as much of a spectrum. Right. But they catch more between the gradients of light and dark. Yes, exactly. So certain movements that we can't see with our human eyes, they especially in the dark, they can pick those up. If you have any friends who are colorblind, they have the same ability, and it's really irritating when you're playing hide-and-seek in the dark. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but Dr. Mary Birch again states that this it could absolutely be accurate that the dog is picking up on something we may not able be able to see. It's funny. All these experts agree. Like, yeah, they kind of have these super senses. We won't say that they can see ghosts, but we won't say that they can't. Like, they kind of hover on that fine line. Another one, their noses are extremely sensitive. So they can smell so much more than humans. But fun side note, elephants are considered to have the most acute sense of smell. They have the largest number of scent-detecting genes in their nose, so they may can scent spirits as well. I did not know uh, that about elephants. Yes, that was in that article. The elephants are considered to have the most. So they can pick up scent left for hours or days ago. And so kind of thinking about this, it is, I'm, I mean, obviously I believe in spirits, but it could also be possible that if a dog or, an, or a cat or someone is acting like they're still sensing their loved one around them, they may just still be able to smell them because they can smell scents that have been there for days or even longer. Oh. So that could be a possibility, too. They can still smell them. So just mm-hmm. throwing that out there. Another thing is their sense of emotions. They can sense the emotional changes in people, um, which can cause them to react. So if you're nervous or if you if there's something that's making your ner- you nervous, then your animal or your pet can also react with fear or be nervous because they're picking that up from you. Um, So that may be why their hair will stand on end because they're sensing, okay, my owner, something's wrong. So I'm going to also in turn act like something's wrong. But the same thing, if you were happy, they would do the same thing. So if you think you hear something and you get scared, they may get on edge or get kind of defensive as well. Yeah. Or if somebody's missing and you're worried about the worst thing possible happening, the animal might be freaking out and you can read too much into the behavior because they're picking up on your anxiety versus what's actually happening with the person who's missing. Exactly. So putting all... Makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. Dr. Mary Birch did say that dogs have a sixth sense, just like humans. So what... Now, she called it our gut feelings. We would think of that as our intuition, but she did say dogs and again, other animals are more often open to trusting that feeling and acting on it because more so than humans, because our conscious brain kicks in and we're trying to justify it or come up with a reasoning. Animals won't do that. So they do trust that sixth sense a lot more, which kind of makes me think of what you were talking about with the psychic and sensing something's wrong. Cause I mean, I think even humans get a sense of like something feels off, something feels wrong, like, but we'll dismiss it in a heartbeat or an animal wouldn't. I will say there have been some studies on people with neurodivergencies, especially ADHD, uh-huh. 
because we're easily distractible in general, but also we pick up on the nuances of people's behaviors. Mm -hmm. It's seen as psychic in situations where it's just picking up on micro behaviors versus actual um, psychic picking up on intuition. Mm -hmm. So there is, in my opinion, there's a gradient. Oh, uh uh-huh. Where I have to wonder if there's a higher incidence of psychic and intuitive people who have neurodivergencies because we're naturally inclined to that anyway, and then it shifts and continues up into the ability spectrum. Oh, I don't know. Very interesting. Very Current interesting. theory in my brain, because I've been looking into my own neurodivergencies. <laughs> yeah, no. I could disagree with myself in two years. You never know. <laughs> Very, yeah, we, we all do that. Now, since I looked up kind of vets and these dog behavioral specialists and all that, which, again, they're not saying they can't see ghosts, but they're also like, they're not saying they can. I found an article from an animal psychic. So this is someone that specializes in this. Her name was Karen, or is, I don't want to say was. Her name is Karen Anderson. She's a professional communicator, psychic, and medium in Washington. So she provided some kind of telltale signs that your pet may be seeing spirits. So one of her number one things is if your pet stares down a hallway or stares at a wall or especially a corner. She was really big on corners. That because she said that is energy vortexes and where energy tends to collect. So if you have a pet that's really focused on that, then that may be a telltale sign that something paranormal is in your house. See, that's incredibly upsetting to me because whenever the animals are staring in the corners, it's extra unnerving than when they're just staring at a wall. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Don't like this confirmation. <laughs> well, she also said barking, whining, showing anxious behaviors. When there's no kind of, you at least to us, there's no known reason for them to be doing that. If they start backing out of a room or backing down a hallway or won't go into certain rooms, that could be a telltale sign. They're seeing something. Just kind of acting out of the ordinary in general. But she, but the good news is, Kaylin, she gives helpful tips for if you're experiencing Excellent. this. In general, if you're... if. If you feel like your pet is sensing spirits and they're getting upset, you can calmly and nicely ask the spirits that may be in your home just to kind of stop. You're scaring their pet. They may not be meaning to. They may just be trying to say hello, but it may be frightening the pet. Another thing, speak speak to your pet calmly when they're frightened. Kind of comfort them. Also, don't get onto them because they're just trying to protect you. So don't, you know, you can perform a cleansing ritual. I love all these tips. Also, use a calming collar for your pets or if you feel like they could be experiencing this. But I think the best advice to you, if your pet is not acting normal, seems to be anxious or having issues, visit the veterinarian just to make sure that there's not other Uh reasons. So I thought that was the best tip. Like, Absolutely that. (laughs) Absolutely that. I definitely agree. I mean, I agree with that one. Like, first, let's let's make sure nothing else is going on with your sweet pet. I mean, we're all here to believe, you know, maybe maybe all of us, but we're here to believe a little bit on like, you know, the psychic spectrum of things, but remove the mundane causes first. Yes. I Like if your EVP is going off, but there are telephone wires right next to you, maybe consider that. If the dog's (laughs) freaking out, it could be ghosts, but it could also be a stomach ache. Yes. Yeah, so always good to rule that out. Now, I wanted to end with some fun ghost stories, and you shared these from your Psychic Pets book, so I picked out a few, but I also have two of my own. So I, Yay! yes, yes, yes. So just to, I, I just picked out a few from your book because there were so many, like, which was super cool. 
And I love that it even noted that the files for of the Society for Psychical Research in Britain and its American counterpart contain hundreds of cases that prove that dogs possess unusual sensitivity and may be able to see spirits or have ESP, which is super cool. Side note, we still need to put the Society of Psychical Research yes. on the list to cover at yes. some point. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I love there were two, it was like two pubs, like these two places in Britain that both had experiences with ghosts. One was haunted by the ghost of a mad woman who would scare staff. And one staff member had his two dogs with him. And apparently they saw the woman and of course terrified him. And it was like a race to see who could get away faster, the dogs or the (laughs) man. So the dogs definitely saw this mad woman as they called her. Another one was at a Grenadier pub at Hyde Park Corner in London, and dogs have been known to recoil in terror at the ghost of a former guard's officer, so they're not too fond of that. Now, this one was probably my favorite out of the ones I read. It was Miss Barbara Kipling. I love all these are are like in England. Like, it's so cool. But in June of 1976, she and her husband went with members of the local literary society to visit Burton Dassett Church. And after the meeting, they let their dog out of the car for a run near the church. And at first, the dog's like frolicking and they said it was chasing rabbits and happy. And then all of a sudden, it just stopped in its tracks, immediately turned with its tail between its legs and just ran away. And at first, they're like, that's odd. But when they visited this land again by this church, the dog reacted the exact same way in the exact same spot. What the couple later learned that where the dog seemed to be really frightened It was actually a Saxon burial place where they had found like 40 skeletons had been discovered just a few years previously. And if that wasn't enough, it was also the same location where uh, townspeople had observed ghostly soldiers reenacting this Battle of Edge Hill. So full of ghosts. We have soldiers from a battle. We have Saxon (laughs) spirits. I mean, so yeah, that one was really cool. And the dog obviously sensed that. Another one, so just two more and then I'll share my personal stories. This one was of, um, it's kind of a little bit sad. It was a dog who was just devoted to its owner, slept in the owner's room every night, and then it was even there when the owner passed away. So during the funeral, a friend offered to take the dog and take care of it, and they took it for a walk to get some fresh air, and they said suddenly for no apparent reason the dog dashed ahead of them, started wagging its tail, acting excited, and was even jumping up on its hind legs like it would do with a person, but there was nobody there. And I'm like, oh, so I think it saw its owner, which is so, so sweet. And then the last story from the book, and then I'll share my own. Actually, we had to talk about a cat because I, I love cats too. Mm-hmm. And it was this family's beloved cat. I, I pronounce it Dinah because I think of like, Alice in Wonderland, maybe Dina, but I like Dinah, so I'm going to go with that. Um, But sadly, this kitty had been killed in an accident. Just It was very sad. And the family was devastated, but they later decided to adopt two new kitties into the home. Mm. I love the names Aquarius and Scorpio. Like, that is so cool. Love it. And they were using Dinah's bed again, and everything was happy. And then one night, these two cats just started acting really unusual they were staring at Dinah's empty bed and their their backs were arched and they were kind of growling and just something seemed off. 
And the owners, well, and the wife's like, what's going on? And her husband wasn't saying anything. So hours later, hours later, the husband is like, yeah, by the way, when all that was going on, I saw the ghost of Dinah in her bed. And then she just slowly faded away. (laughs) By the way, I saw the reason they were freaking out. I just didn't tell you at the time. Yes. And the wife even says in the book, she's like, why did you not tell me? He was like, I thought it would just upset you more. It's like. What? Making me think about it for four hours and then telling me is not going to upset me yes, less. Exactly. She just thought her cats had lost it for a second. No, they were looking at the other kitty. So the other kitty was there. They were fighting for territory because Dinah came for a visit. She did. She did. So those are some very, I mean, there was so many stories in that book, but those are some of my favorite. But I have some personal pet ghost yes. stories. I know. I love the personal stories. So the first one was actually when I was in college and it was in Central Texas and I moved into, it was a brand new apartment and I didn't get roommates right away, which actually was kind of nice because I had a three bedroom apartment like all to myself. Dang. So I, wasn't, all right. I know. I know. I didn't hate it for a while. <laughs> that changed. I eventually got roommates. I'm sure, especially with a small child and a spouse, you look back on those days fondly. <laughs> I know. A three bedroom apartment. <laughs> Um, but that was only, but then I got roommates. I finally moved in. But anyway, so I was there by myself and I had just gotten a brand new puppy to keep me company because I was far away from home. I did notice that my little puppy would like bark at walls for, and growl and like stare up at them for no reason. But, but I mean, there were other people in this apartment complex. So I just thought, okay, he's here. And his name was Shiner after Shiner Beer, because we are in Texas. You are so Texan. I swear to God. I am so Texan. I know. I know. So he he was sh- our other dog at my parents' house was also Willie Nelson. So I, I know we're very Texan. But so Shiner would just stare at this wall. But I mean, there were people on the other side. So I didn't really think a whole lot. I mean, it was kind of weird, but it's like, okay, he's probably hearing something in the apartment until one night I was dead asleep. It was probably 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning. The living room or the TV in the living room came on all by itself, like super loud enough to wake me up. And so I jumped up, like super creepy, went in there and my living room TV is like blaring, Mm -hmm. came on by itself. And you know how you try to justify it in your head? You're like, maybe I left it on. Or maybe Maybe the dog sat on the remote. Yeah, you know, you're trying to justify it. So I turned off the TV in the living room, kind of creeped out, went back to my bedroom and I kid you not, it happened two or three more times. So not only is he barking at walls and growling, but I, that TV popped on two or three times in the middle of the night. And loud enough and woke me up. To be to be clear, the dog was not sitting on the remote, right? No. Th- no, mm. he was in bed with me. This is a complete, this is the living room. And it would wake me up. That TV would come on by itself. Now, how creepy is that? Yikes, yikes, and double yikes. Yeah, and that dog always acted weird in that apartment. Always acted weird in that apartment. So that's one pet ghost story. So Mm -hmm. with the TV, I kind of think it was something paranormal. (laughs) Like putting the two together. I don't have a good argument against that. So, (laughs) okay, continue. (laughs) Okay, so that was one. Super creepy. And then the other one was I worked, um, we've talked about this, we worked for historic homes and museums. At the museum I worked for, at the back of the museum gallery, we had started feeling like something was off. 
like and it had never been like that but something was getting creepy we felt like we were being watched back there and it was even to the point where just random guests that came to visit the museum would come up to the front desk and be like something going on back there like they wouldn't even want to be in the back of that museum gallery and out of the corner of our eyes the lady at the front desk would catch like reflections or movement back there so super weird so there was this little dog in our neighborhood she's still around um, and she and her owner would come for, go for a walk around four o'clock every day and they'd always stop by the museum to come say hi to us Aww. and we kind of called her our museum like therapy dog because she Aww. would like come in and we'd get our snuggles and she'd go to our offices and we were just curious because we were telling the the neighbor, we're like, yeah, that back gallery because um, his house is totally haunted. So he, we could talk ghosts. We're like, something's going on in that back hallway. It's oh, no, I stand with you on that back gallery. That thing was creepy as anything. It Even was with the lights yes. were on. No. Super creepy. And we're like, it's been weird back there. And he's like, well, I want to go back there. So he went back and the dog was following him. Before she got to that back gallery, she stopped. She would not go back there. She started backing up, wanted nothing to do with it. And he even walked in the back gallery and he was calling her like, come here, come here, come back here with me. She would not step foot back. There. I feel validated. Yes. She wouldn't go near it. And she kept backing up and he was like, come on. No, no, good me. dog. Good dog. No. Stay back. No. And we tried it a couple of times because he thought it was fascinating. So he'd walk out. She'd follow him, be happy. And he'd go to that back gallery. She wouldn't go in there. She wouldn't go near it. And so we're like, okay, that's really creepy. Yikes. But yeah, mm -mm. I know. So that was my other kind of pet. That's the, that's the only other time I've seen like, well, I'm like, okay, she, that dog is sensing something. So, and this is our neighbor and that same dog, his house is super haunted and we talk about it. And, and he's like, that dog has seen stuff in that house. He even came in one time and it looked like the dog was pinned huh? down. Like where she couldn't move and he kept, yes. And he kept calling her and calling her. And then suddenly it was like, and she, she like, it was like, he said it was like somebody was holding her down. And all of a sudden it was like it released uh. and she like popped up and came running. So he even had, so a lot of his ghost stories in his house actually revolve around his pet, his dog. So I, to me, I think dogs, I think some of the things when like, like when my dog barks at something, sometimes I'm like, okay, there's nothing there. But I do think animals can sense spirits, personally. I, I think they absolutely can sense things we can't. I mean, they're not as prone to rationalizing things out of, you yeah. know, concepts like we are. So that makes sense, honestly. Yeah, I don't think every time. I think 90, 99% of the time when my dog is barking, I'm like, okay, there's nothing there. You're just hearing something. I've had plenty of times where the cat was staring at the wall and I was freaked out until I saw the moth. Like, or the dust moat yeah, they were exactly. tracking. Like, sometimes there are physical things the animal is looking at, for sure. Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I try to rule it out, but there are other times. I even think Sammy, our sweet little kitty, I think she was around. When I had my Halloween decorations up, because I had this, like, talking, creepy urn. But it was motion detected, and there was nothing around it. It was sitting up on a table. And if that thing didn't go off twice all by itself when there was because I was looking into the room and there was nothing and it went off and I'm like okay that was creepy maybe you know trying to rationalize it and then a few minutes later it went off again I'm like okay Samantha is that you like and then I went and turned off the motion because it was kind of creepy but part of me is like I kind of that may have been Sammy I'm gonna tell myself it was Sammy <laughs> yeah, you you missed your little girl like why wouldn't you why wouldn't it be Sammy 
Especially since cats like to go back and forth in front of random things anyway. Exactly. And she would always walk on that table. So in my mind, I'm like, it would make complete sense that that would be her. So I I will tell myself that. But yeah, so that is kind of, can animals sense spirits? I say they can. I vote yes for the most part. Occasionally, they're weirdos who are playing with a candy wrapper and you just can't see the sparkle. But, (laughs) you know, by by and large, I mean, there are so many accounts throughout history obviously and then also like in our own experiences and stuff like oh so many well and if they have those heightened senses think about it when we do mediumship or psychic work we're kind of tuning in to those things i mean there are clairs but we're tuning into things that we normally would never sense theirs may just be already kind of on that level (laughs) they're kind of already there yeah so um i don't know that's a theory I mean, I don't know if we can prove it. Probably not, but. No, but we can ask for listeners to tell us their instances of psychic animals and phenomenon. Yes. Or if you've had any ghostly things with your pets or they sense something you can't see. Absolutely. Like we have some we have some stories set. If you give us enough stories, we may have to create a monthly listeners episode kind of thing and i'm all for theming it out with uh psychic animals or ghostly encounters with animals or ghostly pets who come back to visit us because that one that one both makes me cry and warms my heart so much when like when i've had that happen with animals that have passed for me or when i hear stories about people especially like kitty cats that like to sleep between your legs and like after you they 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 die you you still feel that sensation like It brings me joy and tears simultaneously. So if you have those stories, (laughs) tell us them so that I can happy cry. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I agree. I would love to hear listener stories. That'd be fabulous. And and of course, like, you know, while you're doing that, if you want to give us that rating and review that we always ask for on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to us. And if you haven't hit subscribe yet, why not? Because clearly <laughs> you're still here and you're interested. <laughs> it's not like it costs anything. Although we do have Patreon as well, which is only $5 a month. And you get to engage with us directly, be part of the community. And you also get some bonus episodes. Like when we continue rambling after we hit <laughs> stop for this episode, we will continue chatting about what we've been talking about all evening and I think it's entertaining and we've yet to hear anything contrary from our Patreon so far. And while you could, you know, try to contact us via your pets, I still recommend our email. It is the most direct access. Yes. Which just to refresh, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod and email us at CallingAllSpiritsPod at gmail.com. And like I said, don't, don't, don't use your animals to try and contact us because (laughs) I will be confused if I have a random tabby cat that is not mine trying to convey messages to me telepathically via the spirit realm. It, it will go badly. I will be confused and distracted and I will want to pet the kitty and I will have very little interest in what the message is that they're trying to tell us. So yeah, no, email or Patreon, definitely the best move. Absolutely. And until next time, bye guys. Bye.